everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And I have Allison, the nurse manager, back with me this week. Hey, Allison. Hey, y'all. It's good to be back. She's back to be tortured a little bit more. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently it's not too bad because you've come back. This is what, the third time? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, everybody seems to really enjoy the episodes that we do together. So it's a win-win for everyone. The first story that we're going to talk about is kind of special because we have a little special thing that we're going to try to get started to try to bring awareness, more awareness to organ donation. So this story is something that I've seen a lot on social media lately through nursing groups on Facebook and just people kind of spreading this story. But this nurse, uh, her name is Lori Wood. She adopted a 27-year-old man with autism because he needed a heart transplant and he was not a candidate for a heart transplant because he didn't have a support system in place so that he would be able to ensure that he was going to be compliant with taking his medications and being able to get to his appointments. And that is so important for organs, um, for for being transplanted and people waiting for those, they're they're not just. It's not like they're just plentiful, and we have plenty to go around. There are people on lists for different organs, especially hearts, to get their organ because they just there's just not enough to go around, and so they have to be really selective. It sounds terrible, but you just have to be. But this man, this nurse, felt so just felt moved, I guess, to help him and not just not just help him, but literally bring him into her life and bring him into her home and establish a support system for him. She became his support system. I'm just I'm just so overwhelmed by her compassion and generosity. Yeah. It said she had only known him for two days <laughs> and decided to make this decision to help him out. And she took him into her house. You know, she was with him through the surgery. Mm -hmm. She made sure that he took all of his meds post-op, you know, and she had children of her own and she made a very, very big sacrifice. Oh, yes. This this man is, he was, whenever he, he would go into the hospital and then when he would be released, he would, a lot of times they would have to discharge him to a men's shelter because he didn't have a home to go to. He he said that he, his mother was not ever, I guess, in a place that she would, was able to take care of him. So he was raised by his grandmother and his grandmother passed away. And he literally just didn't have anyone. So he goes into the hospital and this nurse meets him, realizes the situation that he's in. And rather than just feeling bad about it and even going home and maybe worrying about it or thinking about it and can't get it out of your mind, she literally did something to change it, which is just, it's the sacrifice that she made is so unbelievable. I just, it's really, it bothers me a little because I just think, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, and she, I mean, she trusted the process. Yes. You know, because there's so many unknowns there. You're taking in a a person with special needs that's been living on the street mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily know if he's violent or, you know, what his background has been. And you're just, she just 
welcome into her home. Yeah. Like he was one of her own. And that's that's a huge leap in trusting the process and trusting that there's a bigger plan other than what we think is going to happen. And I'm floored that she did this. I don't, I'm with you. I don't know that I could make that sacrifice. I, it just sort of makes, it makes me kind of reevaluate my thinking about things because when I think about her, two days is just not long enough to know anyone's personality and with him not having a support system, I would say there's probably not, there were probably not people in his life who could even vouch for his character or his actions or what you could expect from him. And so she really took a huge leap of faith here just to help someone. She saved his life because he got his heart transplant. She helped him to get on his feet and just helped him establish, not only did she give him a place to stay, but she helped just establish himself and uh, establish a life for himself to be able to manage it on his own, not just doing it for him, but taught him how to manage on his own. Yeah, and he worked, I believe, as an office assistant or a, a clerk or something like that. And so the article I read said that they would sit they each had their own chair in the living room and they would watch TV together and, you know, high five during Family Feud. And that's just the sweetest story. Oh, yeah. But I don't know how many people I know that would make that commitment after two days. Me either. And, you know, this is, it's a it's our news story, but it's really a good nurse story too because obviously she's, I did, I, I can't, I don't know if I could think of anybody better than, than, than someone who would do something like this. But he said that she treats him like one of her sons. He, like you said, work, works as an office clerk. And she taught him life skills. She taught him how to improve his, what he needed to do to improve his credit score. Just all those different things. And she, while he's now living on his own, she still shuttles him to his doctor's appointments and helps monitor his medications. So, She's just truly saved his life. There's just no other way of looking at it. And she deserves all of the honor and credit and accolades that she could possibly ever get from anyone, in my book anyway. Oh, yeah. So what I would like to do, because organ donation is something that is really important to me. It's, I think there's a, there are a lot of myths around it. A lot of people think that if you put down that you're an organ donor, that it's going to somehow... We're not going to try to save you. Right. That somehow they're, oh, she's an organ donor. You're not going to go through everything to try to save them. It's just not the way that works at all. It does not work that way. And I also have people that I know that are scared because um, they don't want some resident in a lab throwing their heart around the room. Uh-huh. And that's a, I've actually heard those words and I'm like, that's not what they do. Yeah, We can't waste stuff like that. But there are, there is a lot of fear and myths and untruths that surround organ donors and the whole process. Yeah. And it, when it comes right down to it though, the person that's laying in a hospital bed waiting for lungs or waiting for a heart or waiting for a liver or kidneys or whatever it is, is it not worth it? I don't understand. But I I would just like to try to encourage people 
to really think about it. And so what I want to do is I want to take a picture of myself and Allison's going to also, we're going to take a picture of ourselves with our driver's license in this uh, state that we live in, the state of Tennessee. It They put a little red heart if you are an organ donor on your driver's license. And so if your driver's license shows that somehow indicates that you're an organ donor, take a picture of yourself and then tag us um, on Instagram with your picture. Do a hashtag, of course, good nurse, bad nurse, but also do a hashtag, show me your heart. And we would like to get as many people sharing photos with themselves with their driver's license so that it will encourage other people to go sign up. And it's really not hard at all just to Mm -hmm. go online, depending on what state you're in, or just go by the DMV and just say, I'd like to make a change so that I'm an organ donor. I'm sure they can make that change and then print you out a new driver's license. So in order to try to encourage people all over to sign up for to be an organ donor, we just want to see if we can get this started so that we can spread the word. So we're, we'll start off first and get as many people as we can to go on to Instagram and do that. And we'll see what we can do, see if we can make a difference. Yeah. And I would also add to that, if you decide you want to be an organ donor and you put it on your driver's license, that's awesome. But you also need to have those conversations with your families and let them know that that's your decision. So that way, if something does happen to you, they're not left with making that decision. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's it's something you just don't want your family to have to think about that. It's And if you right. have already, especially if you go and sign up to be an organ donor, and if once they see that you have signed up and that's if that heart is on your driver's license or whatever it is, they don't even have to talk to your family about it. They just They just go on because you made that choice. So your family doesn't even have to think about it. If for some reason you haven't done that or you're not comfortable doing that, at least have the conversation with with your family. Like Allison was saying, let them know. But it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had uh, that everyone should have. Yeah. And have you ever watched any of the donor walks? Oh my goodness, yes. They're so heartbreaking, but it is such a great way to honor these selfless people that have decided to give their organs to other people. Yeah. Anything that you can do to bring awareness and to re- for people to realize how important it is. Yeah. But I think it also gives that family one last memory, a yeah. good memory. You yeah. know, then they're not remembering the tragedy that brought them to this point, but yeah. they have good memories to think about and they can know that they're making a difference in somebody else's life and that might ease some of their burden. Yeah, yes, exactly. It might ease just a little bit of their pain knowing that else, you know, part of them will live on, you know, for through mm-hmm. someone else. All right. Well, we'll see how this goes. Hey Q, we're in a commercial, so we gotta talk fast. Let's do it. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it when you started getting all those texts and emails? Sadly, Tina, yes, I have. 
Okay, well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests, and you can even see the pay. Sounds too good to be true, Tina. Well, the best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well... They do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them where to sign up because we're running out of time here. Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse. And follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit, and we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website so they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency, they're a movement. I guess we can get into our bad nurse story. Goodness, I know I say this every week, but this story, oh my goodness, I was really depressed today doing the research for it. And my husband even said, when I was kind of telling him about it, he said, I don't know if you should do that one, Tina. That sounds, it's just so bad. And I, I'm like, I, yes, it is. It is horrible. And it's, it is depressing. And if any of you, I mean, really trigger warning here, if any of you have any connection with suicide or have, you yourself struggled with it or have had family members or friends that either have struggled with it or who have taken their own life. I I just warn you that that is what this this one is about. So if that, you know, may, it may not be for you. This story might not be for you if, it, if, if that's something that you struggle with. I felt like it was important to do it because with as the same thing with the reason that we do all of the stories on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse is to bring awareness to the things that people do, good and bad. The good things, obviously, highlighting and honoring people who are willing to make sacrifices and do wonderful things, and the bad to bring awareness to those things and shine a light in the darkness and let people know there are people out there who do horrible things, and we need to be aware so that we can guard ourselves and hopefully stop it. So... This story starts with one of the victims, and the vi- the first victim in this story is Nadia Kajuji. So in 2008, Nadia was 18 years old. She was a freshman at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. She was studying law and political science, and her father thought that she might have decided to go to Carleton because it was far enough away from where her parents lived that she, they wouldn't be able to check up on her. They, he felt like she probably wanted some space away from them. I think I read that the university was about 300 miles from where they lived near Toronto. So she was just wanting some independence. Her roommate described her as very happy she was the type that would encourage people to do what they, whatever they want to do and not worry about what other people thought. She had recently broken up with a boyfriend, a longtime boyfriend, and then got into another relationship. And then that relationship didn't work out. So she was kind of having, just was not having a good year. And then found out she was pregnant. 
with the last boyfriend, baby, and then had a miscarriage. So her mom knew about this, but her dad did not. She became really depressed. She would talk in her video diary about the pregnancy and the miscarriage. She talked about how when she got pregnant, she was she, she didn't plan it. She did not plan to get pregnant. And she tried to take the morning after pill and it didn't work for some reason. And then after she was pregnant and then miscarried, then she struggled with feeling guilty and just just all of these emotions. And she got so depressed, she started talking openly on her, on this diary, kind of a secret diary, I think, that she was, that she had. But she was talking openly about being suicidal. She talked about how she'd go to counseling. And then in counseling, they would always ask if she had a plan, how she would kill herself. And, you know, we we learned that that's what, one of the things that you ask someone if if they're thinking about taking their own life, if they say, if they're making statements that make you think they might be thinking about that or they come right out and say they are, you that's, a, that's kind of the next step in assessing where they are and is to ask them, have you thought about how you would kill yourself? Do you have, have you thought about that? To sort of see how far along they are with these thoughts. Have they actually said, I plan to do this, this, and this? And she said, she's thought of every way possible. And then one morning she had an appointment with a mental health counselor at her university. She did not show up for the appointment and security was called. When they went in to check her room at the dorm, they saw her wallet was there. Money pretty much didn't really look like she would have left, but she wasn't there. So they contacted her parents and discovered that they hadn't heard for her, from her in days. And they had been, they started searching for her. They realized, okay, and the university waited a couple of days before they even contacted her family. So her father and brother went over to Ottawa, searched all over. Her mother said that after she went missing, she started thinking about the last time she came to visit. And she kind of remembered her being depressed and that she even asked her, are you okay? Is anything wrong? And she said, I'm just tired. I'm just not feeling well. And she didn't want to press. And she even told her husband because he was concerned. And she said, don't worry. Of course, he didn't know all this stuff that happened. And she said, don't worry, you know, don't press her. And she just felt like she didn't want to push her and I guess force her into talking about it. So The problem is, and her mom, seeing that she was depressed, she knew the stuff that she went through. So she was doing the best, her mom was doing the best she could and helping, helping her daughter deal with it. But she did not know how serious her daughter's depression was. None of her family knew it because the school did not tell her. No one at the school told her that she had been suicidal. She'd been having severe mood swings. She'd been taking antidepressants and there had been several incidents that happened at the school, including one time when security was called to a restaurant because she was holding a razor blade and begging for someone to help her because she was afraid she was going to hurt herself. I mean, it's this is heartbreaking, Allison. It is. I just can't imagine what this this young girl was going through. It's it's hard to talk about. It's just 
and, and just re- recounting this, saying this out loud, because of course today I was, it was kind of all in my head reading about it and watching videos. And I just, my heart is absolutely breaking for this poor girl and for her family, because once she disappeared, that's when they found out and they never had a chance to intervene. They never had a chance to try to do something to help her. When the police checked her laptop from her dorm, they found that she had visited several online public like suicide sites, websites that dealt with suicide. And these are websites that I guess are pro-suicide. They're, they're there for people to go and research ways of taking your own life methods. And there's also chat rooms, I guess, on these websites. And she met someone in one of these chat rooms who said, told her that she was a young nurse and that she was depressed and suicidal. So what they start looking at these conversations between the two of them, and they saw that the young nurse who called herself Cammy D was encouraging Nadia to kill herself. And she would talk about how she was planning to hang herself, the nurse would, and tried to convince Nadia to hang herself also. And she even tried to get her to hang herself in front of her webcam. And she claimed that she could make sure she was doing everything correctly because she gave her instructions of how to do it. And she also told Nadia that she would hang herself right after Nadia did. So it was sort of a suicide pact kind of thing. So Nadia wanted her family to think that she died accidentally. She did not want them to know that she took her own life. So she did not like the plan that this nurse, the the Cami D, was giving to her. She she was kind of saying, well, I, I really want it to look like an accident. So she was making plans to jump off a bridge. And it was in the middle of winter. So it was, and this was in Canada, of course. It's very, very cold. And the river below this bridge was icy. And so she, her idea was to put put ice skates on and then jump off the bridge. And that she, she was thinking she would land, where she would land, she would go under the ice and and she would drown. But then when they found her, they would assume with her having ice skates on that she had been ice skating and that was an accident. And that's what she really wanted to do. They found her body six weeks later after the ice had thawed out. And the cause of death was hypothermia. So she had taken her own life with the encouragement of someone that she met in a suicide chat room who called themselves Cammy D, obviously. Now, on the other side of the world, in England, there's a school teacher, a retired school teacher. Her name is Celia Blay. Now, this woman just happens, her, she, her mother had passed away, and she got on the internet looking up ways to deal with grief. And while she's doing this, she stumbles upon this world of these suicide chat rooms and these websites that assist people. And so she's completely shocked, as I would be, as most people would be, when she finds this. It's just 
obviously very disturbing and she doesn't understand it, but I'm I'm guessing she must decide to talk to some people. She's not suicidal, but she's, I don't know if she finds this and decides maybe I should engage with some of these people to try to help them. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I don't know why else she would have tried to talk to some of the people if it wasn't for trying to, okay, well, maybe maybe if I talk to somebody, I can share my grief. I can pull them out of their grief. But that, that part doesn't really make sense as to why she was, how she got into those those chat rooms Mm -hmm. and started talking to people. But maybe she felt, you know, I think a lot of times when people are grieving, it does help to find other people that are grieving and talk about your feelings. And then, you know, you don't feel like you're burdening somebody that's not going through grief because the person you're unloading your burdens on, they're in that same spot. So I think maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe she was just trying to help somebody or reach out. And maybe she just, maybe when she first joined, she didn't understand the depths of the chat room. Maybe she didn't understand fully what was going on in there. Maybe she thought it was just a a grief support group or something. Well, yeah. You never know what you, when you go onto the internet and start typing in things like dealing with death or something like that, you don't know what in the world is going to pop up. No, and then she clicks on something, a website that it deal it has to do with death, and then it turns out it's dealing with causing your own death. And then she maybe and that's how isn't that how the internet is? You get you type something in thinking you're gonna look for one thing and then you start you kind of go down a rabbit hole and start going off on all these different websites that and you're just like, How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah, that's just how it is when you're going on the, you know, on the internet trying to look up anything, I feel like. So Celia befriends a 17-year-old girl from South America who told her that she was in a suicide pact. And she tried to talk her out of it, but she insisted that she wanted to go through with it. So she told Celia that the person's screen name was Lee Dow. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) That's what I'm going with. But She also told her that this person asked her to hang herself in front of her webcam and described herself as a young nurse from America. Now, this sounds eerily familiar to what we were just talking about, right? Right. So that's awfully familiar uh, when when I'm thinking about it. Celia starts investigating, just continuing, I guess, in these chat rooms and discovers that there is someone who is making suicide packs with people all over the world using different screen names. So she's going into these, it's like she just decides she's an investigator or private detective. I don't know what you want to call it, but she just starts investigating like, well, let me look at another chat room and let me see if I can befriend someone. Maybe I can make a difference. Before she knows it, she realizes, wait a minute, here's another person. She starts hearing the same story over and over again different screen mm-hmm. names, different ones from Britain, ones from somewhere in Latin America, you know, South America, somewhere just all over the world. And, th- but they all kind of sound similar. They have the same, there's a person who's calling themselves a young nurse, who's wanting them to hang themselves and who gives them specific instructions of how to do it and who wants them to do it on the webcam. 
Yeah, it's the same MO mm-hmm. every time. Every time. So... And they know that can't be a coincidence. Well, no, there's no, obviously there's no way that could be a a coincidence. So she's thinking, who, why would anyone get into a pact like this with someone? Why would some, all of these people all over be Mm -hmm. getting to this pact? And what, what she was hearing from people is that this person, this young nurse is very, very sympathetic would say things like, would call them hun and just, I understand. I know what you're going through. And it was so seemingly compassionate and understanding that they just had this bond with her. And so she decides, all right, I'm going to see if I can find someone who is in one of these packs with this person. And so she does. She finds a girl who is in one of these chat rooms, convinces her to set a trap for this young nurse. Basically, she had gotten into a pact and she, when she explained to the girl what the quote young nurse was doing, that this is going on, because this young nurse is saying she's going to take her own life after this person does it. It's a pass. You can't do that with multiple people at different times. (laughs) That does not work. No, no. So they get together and they start chatting with this person. They're both, so they're both chatting with this person at the same time when all of a sudden she accidentally steps in front of the webcam. Both of them had the forethought to quickly snap a picture of her with their phones. They, I mean, how in the world they both thought to do this so quickly. Yeah. Except she wasn't actually a she. It turns out the young female American nurse was actually an LPN by the name of William Melcher Dinkle from Minnesota. And he was a middle-aged man. Very far from the young, yeah, compassionate nurse. You can just imagine the shock. When he he stepped in front of the camera, I'm sure he didn't realize the webcam was on or whatever the, whatever happened that he didn't realize he was, he was on camera. I'm sure they must have just been thinking, what in the world? And that, Mm -hmm. the thing is, that is the internet. You do not know who you're talking to. You just should assume it's a middle-aged man that's, that's somewhere in his mother's basement. Mm-hmm. That's what you should just assume. It's mm-hmm. probably not a young, sweet, compassionate female nurse. That's if you're getting told that and you're not able to really see them live on camera, I don't think I'd buy it. No. No, you can't trust anybody that you meet on the internet or that's my personal philosophy. Yes. I agree. So it turns out he was using the screen names that were used to make all these different suicide packs. And I think there were something, there was, there was the Lee Dow one and then the Cammy. It was D. a Falcon Girl. Falcon Girl. Yeah. So he was the one, or the, those screen names were being used through his computer, through his IP address where he lived there in Minnesota. He was married and had two daughters. They were about the same age as the young girls that he's talking to, trying to trying to convince them to kill themselves so that he could watch. Just unbelievable. Yeah, this 
this story has absolutely blown my mind. I don't understand any of it. I don't either. I really don't. It's so disturbing to think of someone taking advantage of someone who's having mental health problems and struggling and reaching out for help. And then this is what they come in contact with. So Celia was able to figure out who he was, where he lived. So she contacted the police again because she had gone to the police earlier when she first figured out that this was going on. She had contacted the police there where she lived in England and they basically told her there isn't anything we can do. And she said that they even said something that she was walking out of the station like, if it bothers you, don't look at it. Just sort of uncaring and... Yeah, yeah. And so it really bothered her and she continued to investigate it herself, even though she was sort of told that there wasn't anything they could do. Then when she finds out who this person is, where he lives, she goes back to the the police. They still tell her there's nothing they can do about it. They're, they're like, well, we're in England. This person is in Minnesota. These people are, other people are all over the world. We can't do anything. They don't even try to do anything. So she contacted the Canadian authorities. They were minimally helpful. They contacted the Minnesota authorities, but then they decided there was not a way, the Minnesota authorities decided there wasn't a way for them to know for sure who was having the conversations online. So they weren't really willing to try to investigate it. Basically, what they're saying is, well, anyone could be in that house on that computer saying that they're that person, that screen name. And so it would just be impossible. So they were not even going to investigate it. So nobody in Canada is trying to look into it. No one in Minnesota. It's just like this woman is doing all of this work to investigate. She's finding, she goes and finds this person and still is not able to get anyone to help her. Yeah. And that that's terrible that nobody wants to try to investigate because it, it is a crime. It, yes, it's not your typical straight out, you know, murder or assault or anything like that, but it's still a crime. I mean, you're taking advantage of somebody that is in a very dark place that is hopeless, mm-hmm. that you know, they're so vulnerable and you're taking advantage of that and using it for, I I, I don't know, I guess your joy. <sighs> I, I don't even know what word to describe that situation, but you're using it for your benefit, for your right. personal gain. Yeah. You're just using that person as if they're an object and they're not really yeah. a person at all. She said that since she first tr- started trying to get in touch with the police and, and to get them involved, there she thought there was um, around five people who had died, maybe even more. So she was getting really discouraged. But then she discovered that there was something called the Task Force on Internet Crimes Against Children. And it was based at the police department in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, wow. So... As it turns out, Minnesota has very strict laws regarding assisted suicide, and they take it very seriously. And the police contacted a woman who was in conversations with 
Dinkle. The police told her all about who he really was and what he was doing. So I guess they start monitoring her conversations. She told police that he tried to encourage her to to commit suicide for five months. They monitor the conversations, and when they saw that she was being asked to hang herself in front of her webcam, they went to his house to confront him. Almost immediately from the beginning, he met them at the door and admitted to pretending to be a female nurse and that he had encouraged people to kill themselves. He said there was five people that he was pretty sure had gone through with it, but there was probably a lot more. And he said he did it for the thrill of the chase. (laughs) It didn't really, just the way that it was described doesn't seem like it really bothered him for even people to know that he did this. Yeah. It, for the thrill of the chase, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I know. There's just not words. Exactly. You know, what kind of person does that? Right. And, and especially as as nurses, you know, we take oaths to help people and heal them, mm-hmm. not to get them to kill themselves. Right. And to know that while he was doing this and he was having these conversations in these chat rooms and telling people how to hang themselves and giving them explicit instructions. And then he's logging off his webcam and he's going down and eating dinner with his family. Right. You know, I mean, he still had a wife and two kids and daughters and... And he's going to work and taking care of patients. Yeah. I, I, he obviously has no compassion for any for someone if he, if he can do right. this. Oh yeah, there's just no doubt. So they confiscated his computer and found evidence that he had given specifics on how to hang, how a person would hang themselves. They also found an email that he had sent to a man in England by the name of Mark Dryborough. And in that email, he had given very specific instructions about how to, quote, hang successfully. And they discovered that he had communicated with Mr. Dryborough online as the female nurse, Lee Dow, who promised to commit suicide after he did. Now, Mark Dryborough's mother, Elaine, discovered that her son had emailed Dinkle just hours before he hanged himself in 2005. His sister, Carol, found him. Police said that his instructions would give very specific details, and one of those was to put the knot of the rope behind the left ear, and they said that Dryborough did everything just as Dinkle put in his instructions, that it was obvious that he had carried everything out the way that that he said to do or he attempted to carry everything out exactly the way he told him to. So Nadia had still been alive because that happened in 2005 with Mark Dryborough. Celia started her investigations in 2006 Nadia died in 2008, so she was still alive when Celia first went to the authorities in England and first started doing all of this investigation, and the thought of that is just so, it's just senseless. I, it's hard to understand. It, you would just think, I've got this information. If I can just go and get this into the right person's hands, something will be done. They'll stop this person. And even if they couldn't go and arrest him, if they just put pressure on him, you know he would have stopped talking to people, surely, or at least for a while. And maybe it would have somehow disrupted that conversation. And who knows what would have happened. Right. And it just, 
it's a tragedy that there was somebody out there fighting so hard yeah. to stop this and end this. And when they, you know, you, you think you go to the police if you have a problem and they take care of it. And every time she went, nobody would listen to her. Yeah, it's really, it's just so sad. So, so sad. And so soon after, you know, they went to his house and questioned him about her death and, and what he was, what was going on, I guess he started feeling, he started getting worried about what could possibly happen. So he checks himself into the local emergency room and was complaining that he suffered from a, quote, suicide fetish and an addiction to internet, internet suicide websites. He said he felt guilty and worthless. So after he goes and admits this, the Minnesota Board of Nursing revoked his license and they in when they revoked his license it wasn't just about the assisting suicide it was that was listed as their as part of their reasoning but they also cited mistreatment of patients and many acts of incompetence as a nurse mm. so there this there must have been other things against him in his career at some point for them to not only, you know, have this as a reason, there must have been other things that that he had done. So police took all of the evidence that they had been collecting and that Celia had been collecting. They turned it over to prosecutors. And then more than two years after Nadia killed herself, the county attorney charged William Melcher Dinkle with abetting Nadia Kajuji's suicide and the suicide of 32-year-old Mark Dryborough. It was the first time that Minnesota's anti-suicide law had been used in a case like this. So even though most states have some sort of assisted suicide law against it, but it's, I guess, unusual for them to press charges for some hmm. reason. I don't know if it's because it's hard to prove Could be. Maybe. So Dinkle was tried and convicted in March of 2011. He was charged with advising, encouraging, or assisting Kajuji and Dryborough in taking their own lives using internet correspondence. He appealed the conviction and the Minnesota Supreme Court subsequently agreed that the Minnesota statute that he had been convicted under was partially unconstitutional. They said that that him that merely advising or encouraging suicide was speech protected by the First Amendment of the of the U.S. Constitution, and that those prohibitions were unconstitutional. What do you think about that? I'm I'm very confused by that because I don't know how giving somebody advice on how to commit suicide would be considered free speech, but if you bully somebody mm-hmm. and bully to them to the point where they commit suicide. That's, you know, you can be convicted for that and have charges brought. And to me, that's kind of the same thing. I mean, just because I I just don't understand that free speech is free speech. I I get that. But not when you're giving somebody instructions on how to, you know, even like you said, down to the putting the knot behind the left earlobe. Well, they did kind of split hairs on their ruling because what they said was, because they said it was partially unconstitutional. So they actually did say 
that if you assist someone in suicide with your speech, in other words, if your speech is basically saying, here is how you do it, and they give you explicit instructions, and then you follow through with those instructions, that is not covered. And that's not protected. So you're not allowed to tell someone how to do it, but you're allowed to encourage or advise that someone should do it. <laughs> that makes no sense. I just don't. I, that makes absolutely I no sense. I, I don't. I don't think there should be a difference in those two things at all. Because my thing is, you you said this perfectly earlier. These people are so vulnerable. They they need help. They are in a position where they can be influenced one way or another. Yeah. No one should be allowed to take advantage of someone who's in that situation just for their own, because they would enjoy having that power over someone. That should Mm -hmm. be against the law. It should be against the law to take advantage of someone struggling with whether or not to end their own life. Shouldn't it? Right, because, uh, yes, it should be. Because somebody that is suicidal, in my opinion, I don't think that they have um, decision-making capacity. Yeah. You know, and we talk about that in the hospital all the time. Can they make their own decisions? And I know that oftentimes we consult psych to get them to assess whether somebody is capable of making decisions. And it happens on patients that are there for uh, mental health issues, you know, that have attempted suicide. Um, You know, the floor I work on, we get a lot of failed Oh, yeah. Suicide attempts. Oh, yes. And they're very tragic. Oh, my goodness. And some of those people have made multiple attempts, Tina, like in the double digits, you know, multiple attempts. And that is so heartbreaking. But they don't have decision-making capacity. So they're kind of, they're in this just weird, dark space. And they're just waiting on somebody to tell them what to do, I feel like whether it's to seek out help to try to get better or whether to end it all and and be done with this. And so I think if you were on a chat room like that and you were given somebody specific instructions on how to carry out this task, then you're influencing their decision. And they're not fully capable of making that decision right now. Well, I agree. I think that... It's 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 something that should be addressed. And the pro, you know, another problem is we've talked about this on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. There are certain situations where people are at end of life, or they're in, they are in a, they've had a diagnosis where they know their prognosis is very poor, and they might have a very difficult end of life, and they are wanting to have some control over that and not experience a difficult end of life and a painful, long, drug out, awful death. And they would like to choose how they go. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. A lot, there's a lot of people who disagree with physician-assisted suicide or whatever you want to call it, but that's not what this is. That is a debatable topic. I personally agree with someone in that situation who has a diagnosis of whatever the situation is 
So you, there is no doubt that person is going to die one way or another, whether you give them control to, for it to not be painful and not be uncomfortable. So I personally am in favor of helping them be more comfortable and, and have a good death and not a bad death. But that is not what this is at all. Right. I And I agree with you. I am also 100%, you know, behind physician-assisted suicide if you have a terminal diagnosis. But these are, this is two different scenarios. This is somebody that just has lost their way in life for whatever reason. They could have experienced a divorce. They could have lost a job. They could have lost a child. Drug use, who knows what brought them to this point. And it takes, it's a long road back out of where they are. And, you know, they need support groups. They need people to talk to, but I don't think that it should be legal to walk somebody through the steps of how to do that appropriately. No. And I I just think there needs to be very specific laws against it. It's dangerous. And there are predators out there who will prey on these vulnerable people. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to their families. Right. And this is a time, I think this is where we're in a different age. Yeah. And we have all this digital technology and chat rooms and things that we didn't have a long time ago. And so I think that the laws are not always catching up with society and the things that happen in society. Yeah. Um, Like I referred to earlier, the bullying. How many news stories have you read about where young, young, young children have committed suicide because they were bullied. Yeah, one is too many, but there's countless of them. Mm -hmm. And so we're having to create laws for problems that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And this exact story is a problem that we didn't have before. You know, we didn't have chat rooms where you could go and talk to people and get advice on how to commit suicide. But I think that the laws really need to be looked at and there needs to be more task force like the one in um, St. Paul to address issues like this because this is not, I feel like, the last time this will happen. No, and this is not an isolated incident either. Right. This will continue. And so I think the laws really need to change to Mm -hmm. handle cases like this. Yeah, this is, he's not, this person, this nurse dinkle person is not the only person to have encouraged someone to take their own life, to give instructions. That's what these sites are for a lot of them. And there have been people who have taken their own life on over the internet on, on a webcam with hundreds of people watching, even thousands. There was one person that I was just reading different accounts that there was like 1,500 people watching while this person took their life. There, it just, there's been countless uh, incidences of this sort of thing happening. So it's, it's something has to happen. Something has to be done. Yeah, because I, you know, I think the suicide rates are increasing. Yes. I think the people that are feeling down and depressed, I think all that, it's, it's not a problem that's going away anytime soon. No. If nothing else, it's getting worse. And we've got to figure out a way to help these people and to protect them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, who who goes onto a webcam and watches somebody oh. commit suicide and doesn't think to call 911 or even, oh, 
know. you know, I mean, it, it terrifies me mm-hmm. to be on the internet. It terrifies me to have a young child mm-hmm. that, you know, will go on the web. Cause like you said, you can click on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're in a, you don't know where you are. Exactly. You never know what your, your child's going to step into when they're looking at something supposedly innocent. Just mm-hmm. like this lady was lo- trying to just look up some grief information and she stumbled on this, which she made a huge difference in the lives of ultimately other people that this man would have affected. Maybe the maybe even the story getting out there, hopefully maybe discouraged some people. What bothers me is that in October of 2014, he was sentenced to three years in prison. That just, that number... <laughs> I just sat there staring at it when I was reading it earlier. And I thought, that has got to be a typo. There's no way. Then I saw that it was suspended if he serves 360 days in jail and abides by the terms of his probation for 10 years after his release. And I was just sitting there going, what is wrong with this world? Why? Right. You can help two people. Two people are not here anymore because you told them. Now, whether they would have eventually committed suicide years down the road is irrelevant in my opinion because you walked them through that specifically. You yeah. gave them motivation to do this, but and you don't even get a full year in jail. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? He was convicted of assisting the suicide of Mark Drybo. He, Mark, in his conversations with Dinkle, actually said that he wasn't ready and Dinkle just kind of coaxed him into it. And he obviously was the, he was the one that followed all the steps. So they did convict him in actually assisting the suicide. So my thing is like that the punishment is not matching the crime there. I don't understand it. He was convicted of attempting to assist the suicide of Nadia Kajuji because she didn't use his tactics. She followed her own plan. She made her own plan, jumping off the bridge and doing everything. So they, I guess, looked at that like he wasn't really assisting her because she didn't do, she didn't follow out his plan. During his second sentencing hearing, he made the statement, I'm sorry for my actions and what I've done. I have repented. So that was the statement that he made. He is free. He was released from prison on February 2015, but his lawyer has continued to appeal the conviction. So I guess even though he's released from prison, they don't want him to be a convicted felon. So they keep appealing it, hoping to get that one overturned. But he's out. He's not in, he's not in prison. No. And that's crazy. That is crazy. There are people serving longer sentences that have done way less things. Exactly. <laughs> That's what, it's what's so frustrating. There you could get people, pulled over for a bag, with a bag of pot. And, yes. And spend more time in jail. I was talking to someone the other day who is a retired police officer and he worked he said, in Miami, down in Florida. And he said they, at the time, and I think the laws have changed since then, but at the time, they would, if they pulled you over and you just had a seed, just a seed, a marijuana seed, and if they could take that and germinate it, 
you'd go to you'd go to prison. Yeah. You know, it's not quite that bad anymore, but it's still people, like you said, I think it's it has to be over so many grams or whatever, but still. Yeah. Prison, really? For <laughs> marijuana and, and some of these people are like ten years. Yeah. Because it's like their third time or something. It's just it's unbelievable. So yeah, I feel I feel like he should have spent way more time. Yeah. And for something that. that's legal in several states now, it's really hard to imagine the all these prisons that are full of people like this. And yet week after week we do these stories about people who are doing th- who do things and and a lot of times the punishment just does not fit the crime at all. It's really frustrating. So I just wanted to say that any of you who are listening if you are struggling with these thoughts of taking your own life, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. We'll put a link on the website for you. And on their website, the suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and there is even a place on there that you can chat. Um, so a few different ways. There's a lot of ways nowadays to get help. Mm -hmm. Definitely don't deal with these things by yourself. Don't deal with them by going on the internet to some random chat room that you do not know who these people are. Right. Seek out a professional. Seek out somebody in your community. If you go to church, any, you know, the hotline that you gave them, you can probably go to a hospital and, you know, ask to speak with a chaplain or somebody. But there's always, always, always somebody that is there and willing to help you. Yes, absolutely. So that was our bad nurse story. That was pretty depressing. It was. It was very. It was particularly hard. It really was. It was a hard story. But it was definitely necessary to do. I'm glad we're bringing more awareness to that sort of thing. And hopefully we can help someone with it. So I have a good nurse story this week that was sent in to me by Alexandria. She sent me an email and just was saying, first of all, thank you so much, Alexandria, for for messaging me and letting me know that you listen to the podcast and you're enjoying it and are encouraged by it. She also wanted, she wanted to shout out one of her coworkers because she felt like her coworker was a good nurse and she wanted us to do her story as a good nurse story. So I was like, this sounds perfect. And I love it because it's sort of like a everyday person, I guess an everyday hero kind of cued as the everyday hero. And this that's what this person is. They, She's not, you're not going to Google her and find her, you know, in, in a news story or on Good Morning America or, or, you know, on Today, but she's making a difference. So this, and, and this, uh, person that her coworker's name is Tina. So she said, even more of a reason to highlight her on your podcast, name twins. <laughs> so Alexandria was Tina's preceptor. So she started working with her. Alexandria works at a traveler's health clinic. So she sees patients who are traveling to different parts of the world and he- she educates them on different diseases and vaccine requirements or recommendations for different countries. And just general education about traveling. So I thought that was kind of cool. I haven't done a whole lot of traveling. So I do know that there are certain vaccines that you have to get and it's important to understand these things when you're going to be traveling. I just haven't done a whole Mm -hmm. lot of it. So I think it's neat that there's a place like this this that you can go to and they can be like, okay, this is what you need to be thinking about. 
don't drink the water, don't, you know, whatever. Right. So Tina was traveling to the Philippines for a mission trip and went into the traveler's clinic to get her vaccines and get her education and ended up working there. So that's how she became the preceptor to Tina and kind of showing her. And she said in an office setting like this, it's not, you know, not a hospital, but but just sort of like a community uh, clinic. She said, you know, precepting is a little different than it is in the hospital. So you have a little bit of free time to talk and get to know one another. And so Tina was explaining to her about her mission trips and what all she does. And she said, when she went on a trip to the Philippines, she said she instantly fell in love and knew that it was something that she wanted to continue doing. And she even started her own not-for-profit. So she went through all the steps and created her own uh, limited liability corporation. And she still works at Passport Health and gives, which gives her uh, the opportunity to go abroad more often, as well as connect with other people doing mission work and traveling that are traveling for similar reasons. So she wanted to just highlight her because she does all these mission trips to help people. And she created this not-for-profit organization. The, there is, she has a Facebook page that is called Nightingale Nurses Care. So Nightingale Nurses Care. And so you can look them up, look up her organization on Facebook. And Alexandria says Tina is looking abroad and trying to help other countries who simply do not have the same access or resources we have in the United States. She says, as nurses, we always want to do good and lend a helping hand. And it's people like Tina and other good nurses that we highlight here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse or in the new nursing stories that we describe. So those people are really holding true to what it means to be a good nurse. And that's that's what we want to that's what we want to promote here, right? Right. Whether it's here or if it's abroad, we just want you to go out and do good things. Yeah. There's plenty of good to be done. And you're, just your job alone, wherever you're working, whether it's community, whether you're in a doctor's office, you your job is to comfort people, help people. Your job itself, you literally get paid to just be a good person. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just a wonderful job and it's a wonderful career and I'm proud to be a nurse and these people like Tina just make me even more proud to be a nurse and kind of helps to restore my faith in humanity especially yes. after we spend time researching and studying these awful people who do for who knows why do these awful things to others so I guess that is it for this episode so Allison, thank you so much for coming on and doing another episode with us. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure to be here with you all. So I want to just remind you guys to go to our website at goodnursebadnurse.com and send it, give us some feedback. There's a place there, a link where you can send us feedback or you can just email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can go on our Instagram page at goodnursebadnurse or you can see, find us on Facebook at GNBN Podcast. And remember to take a picture and share it on Instagram, hashtag, of course, hashtag good nurse, bad nurse, and hashtag show me your heart. So I'm going to do that. Allison's going to do it. And we're going to ask all of our friends and coworkers and nurses and everyone that we're affiliated with to do it. So hopefully we can get this started. Oh, yeah. Okey doke. Well, you guys, 
This ends another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I just want to remind you before we leave that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Allison? Yes, ma'am. Be a good nurse. <laughs> <laughs>